I don't know. The NASDAQ is down the most since 2020. The SEC is down the most since October. S and P. S and P. Man, we are so confused right now. Yeah, so the S and P has had a a drop, but it's about the same as what we saw in October. The Nasdaq is down to where to as much as it was down, or almost as much as it was down in March of twenty twenty. If there's anyone who's listening because the market went down, saying, "Oh, do we need to be afraid?" If you recall, the Delta variant was surging in October. Yeah, the Federal Reserve was discussing raising interest rates and tapering, and the market went down, and it just did it again. Now. It's, it's like down. it's like history repeating or rhyming or something. Yeah. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fall fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning. Or something. Yeah, something or to something that like that. Something mm-hmm. to that effect. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Boys and girls, and then welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, where we will talk about such exciting subjects as the federal interest rates, interest rates. Um, uh, But wait, there's more. We'll talk about unemployment, too. Uh, These exciting subjects and more will be yours if you tune in. Don't forget cryptocurrencies. Oh, yes. Crypto. We have to talk about cryptocurrencies. That, I was trying to make it as boring sounding and an exciting voice, but cryptocurrencies, people are still kind of excited about those. Mm. In a mm. few years, they'll think they're boring, but right now, they're still. it's an exciting subject and people are... So I was trying to get the viewership down with our intro using a really oh. excited voice. Stable coins. Yeah. How, what is our viewership, by the way? Uh, me and you, for sure. I mean, yeah, yeah. So we have a, a our, our radio program has a viewership of two. Listeners may be different, but our viewers are just the two of us. Um, so, and you know, people are always measuring viewers, and our ratings just are horrible when measured in viewers. But we have a consistent rating. Yeah, there's always somebody looking. Uh, it's well, unless one of us is blinking at that particular moment, then then we mm. lose half of our viewers for just a moment. It's horrible. Horrible, I tell you. Yep, the the yep. demographic studies on this are going to be brutal. Anyway, well, this is this is the personal wealth coach. In case you thought it was something else, and just, and we have and some the, disclosures to to start uh, before we talk. Uh, start uh, talking uh, about uh, the economy. Uh, so number yep. one, uh, you already said it was the personal wealth coach. That's our first disclosure. Yeah, that's the first one. Yeah, number two, which has which has a little circled R after it. Uh, Jeff and Jake McClure are both bald men mm-hmm. right. and they have so, beards those is the second disclosure is out of the way um the personal wealth coach is not just the name of this radio program and or podcast depending on which way and how media is being applied um here with therefore and here to for because why not throw a bunch of words together and make them one word cool you um, need to be in it you need to be an attorney or a german Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, um, we're not just the name of a radio program podcast. It's also the name of a registered investment advisory firm registered with the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. Uh, that doesn't mean that the SEC likes us, dislikes us. It doesn't mean that they have are patting our head in approval. In fact, they don't do that. That that doesn't. That's not a thing. Those that would say that the SEC like them 
it's a good way to get the SEC to do the opposite of pat their head in approval. Right. But those are the regulators of the advisory firm that would that we also manage. The two people that are on this program are the managing members of that firm as well. Ta-da. Um but just because it's registered with the SEC doesn't mean that we're allowed to give investment advice on the air. Well, what are we doing here then? Well, investment advice is something we have to give knowing who we're talking to. But we can give you education. We can talk about what's happening in the world and what it means. We can talk about taxes and, uh, and how that might impact the economy. We can talk about all that good stuff in a very general way. Uh, things that we would say to anyone because literally that's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to get the next disclosure? Oh, I was so wrapped up in your disclosures. I thought they were just super cool. We don't give investment advice, but we do give educational information. And that educational information has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. I rem- we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And that we and guarantee. It, yeah. We guarantee that, that is, we don't guarantee it. The other thing is we don't pay for this radio program. That's correct. But nor are we paid for the radio program. We're volunteers. We do advertise on KTEM. For the radio um, program. For the radio program. And KTEM advertises on KTM for the radio program in a partnership so, with us. Why do we have to disclose all those things? Because we do. Because That's- we want to. Um, it, it seems like if there's money changing hands, people should know about it and they should know why. I mean, if somebody's doing a paid commercial program, that's different than offering education. Let me, let me make this point. And the reason we actually had to do that disclosure, um, we are a fiduciary independent SEC registered investment advisory firm when we're not on the radio. Well, we are, we're on radio too, but we're just not giving investment advice. And as such, we are required to do some stuff that a lot of other folks aren't. And we're required not to do some stuff that a lot of other folks do. And we, we have we tra- have voluntarily given up some of our free speech. And we've also voluntarily given up getting money from the people who offer securities and vendors and right, so on. Right, right. So uh, I, we think it's important that the people that talk to us, around us, through us, and at us understand the money flow because it's kind of important to the people that are making decisions on their own assets as to who's getting paid. Uh, I think I think that's important. Unfortunately, the rest of the investment industry, the vast majority of it, doesn't think that you absolutely need to know about this stuff. But we think it's important. We we get paid by our clients. Yes. End of end of that's it. Nobody else pays us. And which the, the legal definition of that, by the way, is fee only, which mm, nobody yeah. understands. Oh, what's that? Huh? Okay. Uh, that just means that we're not paid by some corporate overlord to bring assets to them. Instead, we are overlord. paid individually by our clients to manage their investments and to give them advice. Right. All right. So I think we've hit all the disclosures. What happened we've, this week in the market? We've got all our clothes off. That's cool. Yeah. Hey, well, what happened in the market? A lot of stocks traded hands from one person to another. Whoa. In the, in the mightiest thrift store, we were joking about this at the beginning of the episode before we were on the air, that you can never buy anything new on the stock market. 
Well, you can in an IPO. Well, the IPO doesn't doesn't release it to the exchange. They release it to the uh, underwriters' clients, and then they release it to the exchange. Right. So but it's if, <laughs> if you were a big enough guy, you could. If you were a big enough buyer, and you had lots of connections and coughed up a lot of money to do it, just, you could buy shares that were brand new that no one else had ever owned. Yeah. If if you go to a thrift store and you give them a mo- enough money, they will go directly to Gucci and buy you a bag and bring it to the thrift store. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still a thrift store. <laughs> anyway, well, the we follow the S&P 500 stock index, otherwise affectionately known as SPX. And why do I always put XPX in there? Because there's a, there are several different versions of the way this is reported, but it's the XPX version that we use. And it slid a little bit this week, 5.68% for the week. It's down to 4397.94. It's down about 7.73% from its high, which was on basic, really fascinatingly, was on the last day of 2021. That's when it hit its record, last record high. Um, that's a bigger drop than we've seen since, uh, let's see, when? Mar- March since of 2020. O- October. No, October. No, the NASDAQ is down. Oh, NASDAQ. Not, yeah. So the S&P is down the most in a month since it has since March, but October. NASDAQ's down the most no, since o- October. No. no, no. The NASDAQ is down the most since 2020. The SEC is down the most since October. S- S&P. S&P. Man, S&P's we are so confused right now. Yeah, I'm so the S&P anyway. has had a, a drop, but it's about the same as what we saw in October. The NASDAQ yeah, is down to where, it, to as much as it was down, or almost as much as it was down in March of 2020. And if, if there's anyone who's listening because the market went down saying, oh, do we need to be afraid? If you recall, the Delta variant was surging in October. Yeah. The Federal Reserve was discussing raising interest rates and tapering, and the market went down, and it just did it again. Now. It's, it's like down. it's like history repeating or rhyming or something. Yeah, it's down seven point seven three percent from its high. Now, technically, well, I don't know if it's technical. There's kind of a consensus out there when the market drops ten percent from a recent high, from any high, from its last, from the last time it broke records on the upside, that's called a correction. So we're only uh, two point something, two point two seven percent away from. Having a technically having a correction, yes, which is cool, which we need. And I know that a lot of people don't like it when the market drops ten percent. A lot of people get scared when the market drops ten percent. But we, we got need a correction. Yeah, we got to get rid of some of the deadwood. <laughs> There's some stuff that doesn't need to be up that's been up. I, one of the things that's gone on in the market, if you take the market as a whole in this year, well, actually since November. Um, is that uh, Bitcoin is down about 40%. Uh, the SPACs, the special acquisition companies, uh, special purpose acquisition companies, by the way, those are the ones where you bought the shares in the company yeah, in, and you had no idea what the company was going to do, in but the, they in said, the UK, we'll tell you about it later. In the UK, they call those blank check companies. Uh, we sometimes call them that here, but usually we just call them SPACs. Uh, the, the difference here is the way they spell check in Britain right. is different than here. So you just, just blank check yeah. is different for different, but SPACs basically are, you give us money. We're not going to tell you what we're going to do with it, but we're going to do something. And, and those were really average, exciting for a little while. On average, they're down about 50%. And uh, for those of you who've paid any attention, uh, the meme stocks are down a bunch, uh, specifically uh, GameStop, 
that's down. GameStop is down about 68% from its high. So the craziness is basically boiling out of the market. And the same thing is happening, by the way, with a lot of the high-tech, I mean, very high price to earnings ratio firms. And I've got to throw this in here. Anytime we say that, that the craziness is boiling out of the market, that's a temporary thing. Craziness will return. It may be craziness on the up end or it may be craziness on the low end. Uh, but occasionally we get back to average and that tends to happen right in the middle of a swing up or down. Then we overcorrect. So go ahead. So anyway, the, the, the meme stocks, which if you haven't, if you're not familiar with the term meme stock, a meme stock is something like, uh, well, GameStop is probably wait, the most wait, popular I, one. I have to ask this. I just have to. Do you know what a meme is? It's a symbol that means something. <laughs> okay, it was a trick question. I'm just showing your age. I'm sorry. My age is is going. They're using vocabulary I don't recognize either. But a meme, it's kind of short for like memory. A meme is something like, uh, like Reddit is like the source of all memes where somebody puts a picture together and when it gets really popular and goes around the internet, that is called a meme. If it's not popular and it doesn't go around the internet, it is not called a meme. Well, was, was there a picture of GameStop that went around the, the internet that caused the stock to go crazy? No, but it started at Reddit with the same mm. kind of enthusiasm as the GIF or GIF, depending on how the debate goes for you, uh, animated pictures and so on. Uh, the NFTs, most of the reason why they those digital assets of pictures and so on have value is because Redditors said they are amazing. Reddit's had a lot of influence on the market over the last several years. Mm -hmm. It has. Uh, so but there's, that's what a meme is. A meme just means... Um, when it becomes part of the vernacular, when it becomes something new and a completely different way of looking at the same old thing. So they labeled them meme stocks. There's a little bit of contrast going on in the stock market that I think is fascinating because I'm a geek and I study these things. But the CRSP mid-cap value index um, is down 4.18% year to date. Okay, that's cool. The, we just told you the S&P 500 is down 7.73. Normally, smaller stocks and mid-cap value, mid-cap is smaller than the S&P 500, which are generally considered large cap. Uh, smaller stocks are more volatile historically. And value stocks hold their value better historically. Well, what we're seeing is that playing out to be the truth in this particular case. The value index is down 4.18% year-to-date versus 7.73% for the S&P 500. Why does that tell me? What does that tell? Why, why is that important? The largest, some of the largest companies in the S&P 500 stock index, and for that matter, in the Dow, are high-tech companies. Uh, Microsoft is still considered a high-tech company, Apple, uh, Tesla, and so on. And many of them have unusually high price-to-earnings ratios, which means they have been bid up to the point where if unless the company makes a tremendous amount of growth and has a tremendous amount of extra revenue and profits into the future, the prices become somewhat absurd. Yeah, here's an example of that would be like and, Net, and, Netflix, right? And and so what's happening in this correction primarily? Now it's it's hitting other places too, but primarily in this correction, what's going on is some of those very very highly priced stocks that it just doesn't make any sense to have the price that high uh dropped a bunch 
many of them are down 20 to 40 percent. And, and, and the rest of the stock market, by the way, uh, the reason the stock market didn't drop 20 to 40 percent is because much of the rest of the stock market isn't dropping that much. It's dropping a little. And it's dropping a little primarily because people are panicking and selling S&P 500 index funds and things like that. This is not the way, in my experience, and admittedly, I've only been observing the stock market for about half a century, working at it professionally for about 40 years. Um, this is not the way bear markets begin. Nope. And so this doesn't look at all like a bear market. It looks like a healthy correction, which I think right. we needed desperately. There, there is a, a really, really boring statement that comes from economics that is worth mentioning here, and then we'll explain what it means. In a panic, all correlations go to one. What does that mean? In a panic, everything drops. Are we seeing everything drop right now? No. So when we look back at what happened in March of 2020 in the stock market. That was a true panic. That was everybody's get out. The world is about to end because actually a lot of people thought it really was. Um, if you look back at what happened at the end of, uh, of the, the boom before the great recession, we saw a panic drop. Even the crash, the dot-com crash brought down all kinds of other non-dot-coms because it was an overall panic. We're not seeing that. This is a slow motion drop. It's like people are realizing, whoa, I need to get out of here. It's getting really uncomfortable. There's other parts of the market that are fast motion drops. Netflix, uh, GameStop, Bitcoins, basically most of the cryptocurrencies are just cratering right now because, uh, and most of those tech stocks. And it kind of comes back to those tech stocks have been funding a lot of growth with cheap debt. So let's look at why the market declined this week. And there's, all, there's several whys, and I think it's important. Before we do that, the 10-year U.S. Treasury note, uh, actually, the yield on it actually dropped for the week, dropped 1.62% to 1.763%. That's still higher than it's been since, goodness, since the pandemic started. Um, but... It was at 1.9% on Wednesday, which means interest rates are coming down in the tenure tre in the treasury market. Uh, that's interesting because if the fear is inflation, and that's one of the fears out there, one of the fears that's got everybody a bit panicked, is that we're going to have runaway inflation and the Federal Reserve is going to crank the interest rates up and the economy is going to crater. The people in the bond market don't seem to agree with that because the two-year uh, the two-year two-year Treasury note should be if, if we're really going to have some serious inflation over the next two years, the two-year Treasury note should be rising. The interest rate should be rising dramatically. Because would you loan would you loan money to the government at one percent if you thought we were going to have six percent inflation for the next two years? No, no, you wouldn't. Uh, it, it doesn't make any sense to do that. So since the two-year Treasury note is hovering around one percent. That indicates that the people who have a lot of skin in the game, money, think two years from now, inflation will not be a problem. Uh, and, and so that's one of the reasons we follow the Treasury, you know, the 10-year Treasury, you know, we follow. And, and the curve, this is important. The, the Treasury curve is an important predictor of when we're going to have a recession or if we're not going to have a recession. If Historically, if the Treasury yield curve goes inverted, that means short-term interest rates become higher than long-term interest rates. A recession is coming. It's almost inevitable that that means things are going to get rough economically. If the 
traders in the and the people who are buying and selling treasuries in the open market in the United States thought we were going to have a serious economic problem down the road. They would crank up the the short term treasury, like for instance, the two year, to something way above two percent. Well, considering that the ten year is not yielding two percent and the thirty year is just a little over two percent, that would give us an inverted yield curve, and that would mean that rough times are almost certainly ahead. Uh, but none of that is true. So again, uh, the the underlying indicators in the economy are telling us things are pretty cool. Oil, which we normally report on, West Texas Intermediate crude oil didn't do much of anything for the week. Went up a little bit in the middle of the week, and then it came back down, and it came back down because there was a report about U.S. storage facilities and the amount of oil that was in there, and it was kind of surprised because we have a lot of extra oil in the U.S. storage facilities. Uh, it's at $84.76 per, per barrel, which is higher than it has been, but there's a lot of really good reasons it's higher than it has been. And it is basically, the futures market in oil is saying any economic slowdown that we're seeing right now, and it's not we're not really seeing a slowdown, any reduction in growth that we're seeing right now is temporary because uh, the, the oil markets are forecasting a significant demand increase in oil later in the year. And that's the markets. Cool. All right. Two other subjects that I think are worth discussing, and I think people should be concerned about. One is the Omicron wave, yeah, which is in essence the third wave of this pandemic. And by the way, major pandemics like this normally have three waves. The third are you, being are the most sh- infectious. Are you sure this isn't the fourth, third wave? Depending this on is how the, we. Well, there was the original infection. Uh huh. We call that OG. By the way, that's the OG and OG, yeah, old school, OG. old school gangster. That's that's the original. If you got, okay. if you got, uh, if you got COVID OG, that was old really? school. Now, if you got COVID Delta, I'm just making this up as I go along. Well, yeah. the Delta was number two, and you hadn't really see these until you look back on them, obviously. Uh, and the Omicron is number three, and number three is infecting more people than one or two did, which, by the way, is the way the 1918 flu went as well. Yeah. Uh, Omicron, and I know there's going to be some people who want to argue with me on this, but it appears the death rate has now started rising in eastern United States where Omicron first hit, rising yeah. dramatically, like doubling. What they're uh, saying. Not, I say not the death rate, not the death rate, the number of deaths and the number right. of hospitalizations is up sub- substantially because yeah. even though... Omicron is less severe for any given individual that is, for example, vaccinated. There are so many people getting infected with Omicron that we're getting a very large number of deaths. We're up above 2,000 deaths per day now in the United States. We and those, were down to about 1,200 um, earlier. Those deaths tend to be, just from talking to an epidemiologist, those deaths tend to be COVID as the aggravator of existing conditions. Right. They would well, not have died without COVID, but COVID only made the rest of their body worse and their existing conditions, and that's what killed them, but COVID was part of it. There's two issues. One is comorbidities, they're called, and the other one yeah. is lack of vaccination. People who have not been vaccinated right. still are at significant risk from Omicron. Um, the odds are, and, and it's only, we're not predicting the future here. We're just simply saying, based on what's happened in history, this will be the beginning of the end. Now, how long it will be until we're out of what we would consider pandemic and into endemic disease, which we are, for instance, with influenza. I don't know. But we're hitting about the worst point right now. And I think uh, from here, 
some epidemiologists are going out on a limb and saying around March, maybe late March, the, the infection rate should be falling off and we should be able to get back somewhat into normal behavior like we had back in the fall. And at that point, here's the key. Americans still have a lot more cash in the bank yeah. relative to their income and net worth than they've ever than they've had at any point since we've been keeping records on this. And they're probably going to spend a bunch of that. They're going to hang on to some too because they've been burned and they're scared. But two things I'm going to forecast that'll happen this year with a high level of probability of being right. One, we will get back to some form of relatively normal behavior. Mm-hmm. Two, inflation will come back down. I'm going to go with Janet Yellen by the end of the year to around 2% a year. I, I tend to agree with both of those statements. I've got one practical thing to throw out just as a real quick. And that is first, if you are, or if, if you have a family member that has passed away from COVID first, we're sorry. But second, there are some things that you can do to help financially. FEMA is paying for the final expenses, the funeral costs for anyone that died of COVID. And that can be a significant cost. I mean, $10,000 is not unusual. So you have to make the application. It's basically the same thing they do when a big hurricane hits and people die. FEMA steps in and says, we're going to take care of that because the insurance companies look at it and go, we can't cover that all. Um, so FEMA's involved, and if you've had that tragedy, uh, any time, there's not, there's, they're, they're not saying, hey, you didn't apply it with enough time. Just you need to have receipts in place. You need to know what you paid, and then they will reimburse you for that. That's truly practical. Uh, we usually talk about a more theoretical approach on the, on the air, but that is a truly practical thing that you can approach to get some, some benefit to at least some help in paying for the final expenses. Do you want to do a wrap up? That was my wrap up. Well, I think we're almost out of time, but the, the bottom line to it is the market is coasting towards what may be a correction, but the economy seems to be doing very, very well. The correction is probably healthy. Uh, across the board, we're seeing Omicron slow things down. The Union Pacific noted in their earnings report that they were caught flat footed by this thing and it hurt their earnings because they simply didn't have enough people on the cruise to keep the trains running and deliver everything needed to be delivered, which is one of the reasons we're seeing shortages. But all in all, things look quite well. They look quite healthy. The LEI leading economic indicators are up, and it looks like we've got uh, a lot of legs on this expansion. Somewhere around the end of 2022, we expect to see employment return to pretty full employment. We're expecting to see a full recovery by the end of 2022, barring something else happening like Russia invading Uh, Ukraine, which is one of the things we didn't talk about. Right. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, we do give fiduciary investment advice to folks of high net worth and those of you that really are curious about it. Um, The local line is? 254-947-1111. And our toll-free number is 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. You can see our radio program there. You can also go to any podcast provider for that. Uh, it goes back lots of years. You, you can, can see our radio program? You can see it before you click it, and that's how okay. you see it. 
Um, we've got uh, newsletters there. You can sign up for that. Um, you can contact us through the contact form or email us directly at Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.